So obviously one act of love trickled an entire movement of love to the point where they're all at the end, whitewashing that wall. This acts of love can build up to a movement of love. And if you have been with us the last four weeks, we are in a series called How We Change the World. And this is really the point in a lot of ways that one movement of love, one act of love can spur on and inspire an entire movement of love. And so how does God go about changing our world? Well, it's through us. And it's through our actions of restoration, it's through our actions of redemption, it's through our actions of love that we extend to one another. And as the world views our actions of love, then they are inspired to go out and do more. And so this trickle effect begins to the point where there's an entire movement of love. We are concluding that series this morning, but quickly I do want to share with you the, the next three weeks we are going to be engaging in an Easter series titled The Cost of Forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of those really, really challenging topics for so many reasons. And so we'll be discussing this over the next three weeks. I'd encourage you that if you struggle with forgiveness or if you know somebody who struggles with forgiveness, to invite them to restoration with you over these next three weeks and to plan to be here for the duration of them as we find some freedom as we talk about what is forgiveness and how it works within our own lives. But this morning, as I had said, we are finishing up our series titled How We Change the world. These are some of Jesus' very last words. We're talking through the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Some of Jesus' last words. He had just risen from the dead, and now he's addressing his disciples with his mission and his game plan. And so this is it. This is it. There is no plan B. This is his plan A. This is how he had decided now to go about reclaiming his world and redeeming his world and restoring his world. And so if we say, hey, you know what, I'm really not up to that task. Or, or God, why did you choose me? It doesn't make any sense. I'm incapable of this, God. I'm not going to have any part to do with this. Well, there isn't any other plan B. This is it. This is plan A. And he has entrusted his kingdom expansion to his followers, to us. And so we have a responsibility. He said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you'd like to get caught up on these messages, you can over the last four weeks. Today, we're going to be focusing on that last stanza, and surely, I'm with you to the very end of the age. And so here's the thing. If we do not do this, if we do not claim his authority and work to redeem his world, then nobody is going to do it. If we don't help the world understand its humanity and why God had created us and, and uh, compelled by his love, dying to our selfishness and, and living self-sacrificially, helping them to be obedient under this new authority, then no one's going to do this for the world. And the, the, the television certainly isn't going to do it for them. Their, their workplaces sure isn't going to do it for them. The, the almighty dollar in America sure isn't going to do it for them. If we stay silent, then the world is hopeless. And another one of Jesus' commissions, he actually has a commission in every gospel, by the way, if you're interested. And another one in the gospel of Luke, he says this, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. And so later on, actually clarifies what the Father was going to send. That was going to be the Holy Spirit. Right? God's Spirit would provide them the power that they needed to be His witnesses and to speak boldly and to share effectively. 
So God's kingdom has come. It's been established. This is when Jesus rose from the dead. God's kingdom has come. It's been established. The rightful king is now upon his throne. Redemption has begun. And those who have now experienced, we are heralds of this message. Those of us who have experienced the restoration and the redemption of our bodies and of our souls, of our minds and of our strength, we are heralds of this truth and heralds of this redemption. Now, I get that this could be an intimidating and daunting task. You may feel the weight of this mission. You're like, I don't know. I am incapable of doing this. I, I, I don't have uh, the capacity and the skill set in order to really preach the gospel effectively. And so why, God, did you choose me to do it? I get that it can be daunting, that we are God's plan A for his kingdom expansion, and that he has entrusted his very kingdom into our very incapable hands. But also I want you to realize something very important. At the end of Luke, this passage that we had just read, the disciples have just seen Jesus rise from the dead. Right? That, that's crazy in and of itself. That's exciting in and of itself. Jesus has just risen from the dead. This is crazy. But then he appears to them, and he gives them some further instructions before he disappears before their eyes and goes into heaven. Now, the disciples are really excited. They're really pumped up. It says in 2452 of Luke, he says that they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. The disciples wanted to get out immediately and go change their world. Man, we are so excited. We've just seen the restoration, the redemption of the world. We need to go out and tell our neighbors. We want to go out and change the world. We want to go out and be effective agents. Let's get going. Aren't you guys excited? Aren't you guys pumped up? Let's get going. And so uh, Jesus is like, wait, wait, wait. Hold up, guys. I, I get you're excited. I get this is exciting times. I, I, I get that you're pumped up and that you're full of joy and that you have experienced incredible restoration and redemption. But wait. Wait, if you guys go into the world by your own power, by your own strength, by your own agenda and your own ambition, then you guys are going to fail. You guys can't do it on your own. Yeah, I have not given you that gift that I promised you I would give you. Settle down. Do not leave Jerusalem, he says in the beginning of Acts, which is the second part of Luke's gospel. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so, my friends, I get it can be daunting. I, can't, I get that the mission can be scary and intimidating. But I also get that we can be excited and, and full of joy and eagerness to go out there. But we need to wait for the Holy Spirit to come on us, to call us. And it urges forward. And so Jesus says this at the end, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this opportunity to be in your word, to listen to what you are saying to us this morning. And so, Father, I do pray, I do pray that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds, that we might hear you, that we might listen to what you are saying, that we may, we may respond appropriately this morning. Amen. So, yes, it can be intimidating, but rest assured that we do not do it alone. God is with us, surely, to the very end of the age. You know, I remember that the first time I ever went into a haunted house, uh, I have two older brothers, and they had convinced me that this was a good idea. I was like a, I was like a six- or a seven-year-old, and so I, I had no idea what a haunted house was, and so I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a scary house on the outside. It can't be that bad inside. Hey, hey, Ross, yeah, man, you, you know, you got to go in there. It's going to be awesome. Oh, but by the way, you know, they don't let us go in groups, so you have to actually go through the thing alone. I'm like, no, 
I don't, I don't want to go through this haunted house by myself. I look scary, and I, it's, it's frightening. And no, man, Ross, it's the only way that they let us go in. It's like, are you guys sure, please? Really? Come on, won't you guys come with me? No, man, we're not allowed to go with you, Ross. Sorry, you have to go through it alone. And so, and so I, 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 with a great caution, I, I back into this haunted house all by myself, and I'm sitting there, these guys with chainsaws behind, you know, caged doors, and these guys chained to the wall screaming at me. I'm like, holy God, there's no way I'm stepping foot into this thing any further. And so I start to cry, and I start to scream. And, uh, of course, my brothers are, you know, older brothers, doing what older brothers do to younger brothers and, and what it is. But uh, my, my dad cuts through all the chaos. He's like, man, seriously, guys, come on. Let your brother have some company in this haunted house. And so my dad comes in, and all of a sudden, you see the presence of my dad in front of me, and I'm, I'm in this incredibly crazy, incredibly scary environment. I don't want to go forward. The, 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 the task of going through this thing is daunting and intimidating, and there's no way I'm going to do it. But I see my father come through the door. I see my father come through the door, and I look up at his strong and capable and courageous posture, and immediately I find courage to move forward. It's not that I was going to go through it on my own. There was no way in that I was going to go through it on my own. I was not going to go doing that. But I see my father, and he's full of courage, and he is strong. And all of a sudden, I have the ability and the courage then to go forward as well in the presence of my father. And that's kind of what this task of bringing Jesus into the world is like. We don't do it alone. The task is too intimidating. The task is too scary. But in the presence of our Father, we find courage and we find strength. We are not asked to conjure up the courage or the power within ourselves to go throughout the world. We are simply called to look up. We're called to look up and realize that we are not alone and that the power has been given us already through the Holy Spirit to accomplish the task set before us. Surely I am with you to the very end of the age, Jesus says. I'm with you. You're not alone. You're not doing this by yourselves. I am with you. And with these simple words, it is done. Matthew's gospel is over. It's come to its conclusion. And so if you're familiar with Matthew's gospel, you'll know that it begins with declaring Jesus as the Emmanuel. This is the only gospel that has this phrase in it. No other gospel speaks of Jesus being the Emmanuel. But God is with us. It's obviously a very prominent theme in Matthew's gospel. He begins his gospel saying, God is with you. God is with you. He is the Emmanuel. God is among you. And he concludes his gospel. God will always be with you. It's a very important theme for Matthew, in part because he is writing to a Jewish audience who held as a great importance the presence of God among his people. And so the fact that God is with his people is a theme and a truth that can be traced throughout the entire history of the Jewish people in the entire Old Testament. For instance, the tabernacle, which is the tent constructed in the Old Testament. Uh, later, it, it was the temple. It served the same purpose, the presence of God in the middle of his people. That was the purpose of the tabernacle. The purpose of the temple was that God was among his people. Every time the Israelites cried out or stated the very name of God, they understood that the name of God was a, was a declaration that God was actually among him. That God was present. In the priestly blessings given in number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give peace. This was understood as a blessing of God's presence among his people. And they would say this daily. God is with his people. God is among us. God is present. But there came a time when the Jewish people were sent into exile and Jerusalem, including the temple of God, the, the, the building that held the very presence of God, was completely destroyed. And it was understood that God's presence then had left the Israelites. As they were uh, dragged off into exile, into Babylon, 
God's presence did not go with them, they felt. And the Jewish people in Matthew's day still felt as if they were in exile. Yes, they had their land back, okay? Yes, they had rebuilt Jerusalem, and yes, they had rebuilt the temple, but really it wasn't to its former glory or to its former standard. Uh, The prophetic voice had stopped uh, 500 years prior to this, and there wasn't a Davidic king sitting on the throne. So for the Jewish people, they wondered if God had actually returned with them, right? Yes, we have returned to the land, but has God returned with us? Is God actually present among us? That was the question going through the, the Jewish people's mind in the day of Matthew, because here's what they, they, they understood. Life is not working right. You guys ever experienced, like, life just isn't working right? Man, something is wrong with my life, and life isn't working as I think it ought to be. And this isn't how life is supposed to be when God is actually with his people. If God was with us, then life should be working well. And so if life is not working rightly, then God must not be with us. This is how they understood God's presence. It's not hard to imagine how they were feeling. It's, it's really not, man. We, we, we think of this all the time. Have you guys ever asked yourself in the midst of a, a trial or during a time of suffering or just general anxiety and depression or angst, man, where is God in this? Has that question ever crossed anybody else's mind in here? Man, God, where are you in this? Are you present, God? Where are you? Just two months ago, I got a call from my mom saying that my sister-in-law, who at 22 weeks pregnant, she had given birth to a son, and that son took one breath and then no more, and he died. If he was born three days later, they probably could have saved him. And then she went on to say, you know, and roughly that same time, 3.30 in the morning, roughly that exact same time, my sister, who had early onset Alzheimer's, not my sister, my aunt, my mom's sister, she also passed away. So in the span of about five minutes, my mom lost her grandson and her sister. And where's God in that? That a 22-week-old infant child in the womb doesn't survive? Where's God in that? Where's God in this pain? Where's God in this horror? It's an an honest question, and it's one I want to wrestle with, and I think it's one that deserves being wrestled with. You know, the Israelites used God's presence as a shield. They, They used God's presence as a shield. They had this belief that if God was with them, then nothing bad could happen to them. If God was among his people, then it was a shield of protection, then nothing bad could happen to them. Everything would always go their way if God was with them. And so in 1 Samuel, as the Philistines, a well-organized, energetic, and aggressive nation of skilled warriors, they attacked Israel, who basically hastily threw an army of farmers together. The Philistines won that war without even breaking a sweat. Here's what the Israelites asked. Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh, so that it may go well with us and save us from the hand of the enemies. If God's presence is a shield, then let's bring the ark of God's covenant, the house of his presence, to battle with us so that we will win the victory. Right? They didn't blame their defeat on, on military inexperience or inadequate equipment or poor leadership. They pondered why they lost and they came to the solution for victory. God's presence among us, God leading us with his presence will lead us to victory. Let us bring the Ark of His Covenant with us into battle. We will certainly win. And they thought, surely nothing bad can happen to us, and so surely we will be victorious if God is with us. So they went into battle, and the second time, their defeat was worse than the first. 
They only lost 4,000 soldiers the first time. The second time, when God's ark, when God's presence was with them, 30,000 soldiers died. They got routed by the Philistines. Because here's the thing, God is not a trinket. God's not a trinket. He's not a good luck charm. He is not a potion that we drink. And so what's interesting about this scene, and we we really need to understand this, this scene in 1 Samuel is that the Israelites call upon God after defeat, not before battle. They call upon God after defeat, not before battle. And when they realize, I'm sorry, and, and the reason they call upon him was to manipulate him into giving them victory. This is why they call upon God. Give us victory, God. You are our shield. We will not lose if you are with us. But it's after we've already lost. We're not calling you before we go out into battle. We're calling you after we've experienced a defeat. And so they rushed in to their own agenda. And they followed their own ambitions. And they relied on their own strength. And when it didn't work out, they wondered why wasn't God with them. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Is this typically the, typically the way we go about our lives? Now, we, we rush into our own agenda, we follow our own ambitions, we rely on our own strength, and when it doesn't work out, we wonder, hey, God, where were you in that? Why weren't you with me, God? Why weren't you with me along the way? And so what I've noticed, and this is a very unscientific and admittedly narrow observation, is that those who say, man, you know, if God were good, and if God were all-powerful, and if God really loved me, and if God actually cared, and if, and if, and if, and if, and if, and if God was really real, then this wouldn't be happening to me. These people who claim this and declare this are usually the ones who don't have a relationship with God, and they don't know God. These claims come from people who rush into their own agenda, and they follow their own ambitions, and they rely on their own strength. Because what you'll discover is that even if you have the smallest amount of faith, maybe perhaps the size of a mustard seed, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, belief in God in every circumstance of your life and situation of your life, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed that God can take your mountains— those, those experiences of, of opposition in times of life that aren't working rightly and feelings of hurt and frustration and angst and anxiety, and, and he can throw them into the sea. See, the sea in Jesus' day, as they understood it, this is where evil began. The, the sea is where evil was housed. It was where evil resided. That is where evil belonged. And so Jesus said, hey, if you have faith in me to the side of a mustard seed, I will take all of the opposition in your life. I will take all of the hurt and the angst and the anxiety and the depression and everything else that you deal with that is broken in your situation, and I will tell it to go home. I will tell it to go where it belongs. I will say, cast yourself into the sea. You do not belong here. You have no right to be here. I will tell it to go home. With the faith of a mustard seed, this is what Jesus promises us. God is not a shield in making us invincible from the pain of life. God is not a shield making us invincible from the pain of life. He's not an alien spaceship that will just beam us up when life gets hard. He's rather with us and carrying us, giving us courage and strength as he walks alongside us through it. And so when I was a kid inside of that haunted house, part of the fright of the place was that you couldn't actually go through the door that you just came through. And so if you wanted to go in forward into it, you, you couldn't return and retreat backwards. And so I got three feet into that first door, and I couldn't go back outside. I had to keep going, and I had to keep going through. And so when I start screaming 
fearful of my experience. There's no way I'm going forward. This is too scary. This is too daunting. I can feel the anxiety and the blood pressure rising with me. There's no way I'm moving forward because that guy over there has a chainsaw and he's running at me. Okay? And that guy over there is chained to a wall and he has blood running down his face and he's screaming at me that he wants to whatever. Okay? There's no way I'm going into the clown room because that's just freaky, okay? There's no way I'm moving forward into this haunted house by myself. And so what does my dad do when he comes alongside me? He doesn't say, hey, Ross, here's a gun. Why don't you go, go shoot all your opposition? I'm just going to clear the pathway so there's nothing else to be scared of in life. I'm not just going to give you a gun so you can shoot down all the clowns. Okay, that's not what my dad does. He doesn't even say, hey, why don't we go and find an exit so that you can get out of this place? He takes my hand, and he walks with me. And he speaks words of comfort and courage into me while he's holding my hand, and he is speaking truth into me. Ross, this isn't real. Ross, you do not have to be afraid of this. There is no harm going to come to you. He is speaking truth into me so that I have the courage to continue to move forward. God's presence does not assure us that nothing bad will ever happen to us. Nor does, or nor should we expect it to. Because if you think about it, we serve a God who, when looking at the pain and the craziness of the world, said the only solution to this pain, and the only solution to this craziness that I see in the world, the only solution to the world's problem was for me to be beaten, and for me to be tortured, and for me to hang on a cross. God didn't say, hey, let me create a spaceship to, to beam all the, the, the craziness out of the world. No, he says, I'm going to take the pain and the problem and the brokenness upon myself. I'm going to enter into the pain to redeem the pain. And so having God's spirit means that we are cross people. We're people of the cross. We learn to live. We learn to love. We learn to die. That is what we're about. That is who we are as people of the cross. And so if... That is what redemption and restoration looks like. The cross, the beatings, the torture, the pain, the agony. If that is what redemption and restoration look like, then why should we expect that experience from redemption and restoration should only be beautiful and easy? Why should we expect that it's not going to have its share of problems or painful experiences? If you want redemption, if you want restoration, then you'll have to take it through the cross. And my friends, it's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be easy. We are not promised an easy life. We are promised that God will always be with us. That is what Jesus says. I will be with you always, even to the very end. So we must rely on the truth that God is present, whether we feel him or not. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm experiencing pain and when the blood pressure starts to rise, I'm like, man, God, are you with me? I, 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 all my feelings are of fear and fright. And I'm like, God, you must not be with me right now. But God's presence is an objective truth. It's not a subjective idea. God's presence does not vanish from us when we are feeling pain or sorrow or fear. And so, my friends, I want you to know, not feel, I want you to know when the hardest times God is with you. And know, not feel, that in the best of times, God is with you. God is with you, and he is capable of providing for you. He is the one who can steal your fears and anxieties, and that he wants to speak to you and assure you of his provision and his care and his comfort over you. He wants to speak into your life. He wants to hold your hand through the chaos, and he wants to speak words of comfort and compassion and providence over you. 
And so he is trying to get our attention that you are not alone, that we are not alone as we go through the craziness of the world. And so here is the $100 question this morning, my friends. Are you listening? Are you? Are you awake? Are you listening? Mother Teresa was once asked a question uh, by a reporter. The reporter wanted to ask, uh, ask Noah a very simple answer, um, and he asked, Hey, Mother Teresa, what do you say when you pray? And her response was, Well, I don't say anything. I listen. And the reporter was like, you, you, you li- Okay, so then what does God say to you? And she said, Well, God doesn't say anything. He listens. I think one of our struggles with prayer and with conversation and with uh, feeling the assurance of who God is in our times of trouble and in day-to-day life, one of our struggles with prayer and conversation with God is that we do too much talking and not enough listening. When Paul told the Thessalonians to pray continually, he meant that we are always to be in conversation with God, back and forth, speaking and listening. But how many of us, when praying, you know, we, we speak for a little while, you know, we, we go into a prayer closet or we, or we go beside our bed or we're just, you know, standing at the kitchen table, whatever, and we're, we're praying, but we do all the talking and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And when we're done finally saying what we have to say to God, asking him for things mainly, if we're being honest, right, uh, then we shut our ears off and we go about the regular duties of our life. And we say, okay, I've done my duty, God. I've, I've prayed to you. I've asked for what you've asked me to ask for. And now it's, uh, I'm going to go about my daily life. Or, or we, we say a, a prayer before, before dinner and we're thanking God for whatever is on our table. And then we go about the conversation and we turn our ears off. We, we open our mouths, but we shut our ears off. And don't get me wrong, God is patient and ready to listen to everything on your heart and mind, and he desires to hear what is on your heart and on your mind, and he wants you to be speaking about the day-to-day things that you're experiencing in life. He wants you to be speaking to him. And he will never grow tired of listening to you. But what if, what if those concerns and those fears that we have, what if in the midst of all those, God actually wants to say something to you? What if in the midst of the craziness of your life and and the fear and the trepidation that you experience, what if God actually wants to say something to you? And you say and you say and you say and you speak and you speak and you speak and then you shut your ears off and you cannot listen to what God is saying to you about how he wants to provide for you and care for you and encourage you. And so several years ago, Emily, when Emily and I were begin thinking about moving from Minnesota to come out east to plant this church, I spent uh, a weekend in a hermitage in the woods in central Minnesota. And the point was to get away from the noise of the world and to sit in silence. That was really the point of this whole experience. I wanted to get away from the craziness of the world and sit in silence and be in prayer for roughly 48 hours. And so the idea was that because I believed that God's voice was still and soft as it was to Elijah, we we hear this, right, in Elijah, that uh, God spoke to him in a still and a soft voice. That I wanted to get into silence so that I could hear the still and the soft voice of God because with the craziness of the city and the, and the, uh, the anxiety of work and just the, the, the amount of things that Emily and I were trying to process, I, I couldn't hear. And so I needed to get away and I needed just to sit in silence. And so there I was in the middle of these woods and I was in this 10 by 10 wooden cabin out in the middle of the woods all by myself. Sound like fun to some of you guys probably? Sound like the worst idea in the world to some of you as well? Uh, you could do nothing except sleep and read. Uh, they, they provided you with a basket of bread and apples. That's all you had to eat. And so for 48 hours, you basically fasted and prayed. 
My ambition was, as Paul encouraged the Corinthians to do, to take every thought captive. And so did you know that your brain never stops? Literally, that you cannot shut your brain off, that your brain is constantly chattering, that your brain is constantly firing, the neurons are constantly going. Try turning it off for just a moment. Try turning it off right now. Do it. Try, try to turn your brain off. Try, try for a moment to think about nothing. And so within seconds, within seconds of doing this, your brain is going to start the chatter. You're going to be thinking, okay, well, so far I'm doing pretty good. Okay. Yeah, there's not a lot on my mind. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing, pr- I'm doing pretty good. No, that's thinking, by the way. Okay. You haven't actually shut your brain off. And then you're going to think of like, oh man, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? I have so many, my, my to-do list is so long. Why am I spending this time just sitting here in silence doing nothing? And then, uh, and then your brain is going to start thinking about everything that you could be doing instead of doing this stupid exercise. And you're like, oh man, I got such a lengthy to-do list. Oh. And then you're going to start thinking, oh man, did, did, I, did I close the garage door? Uh, did I turn the coffee pot off? Did I lock the door? Oh. And, then, and then all the fears and the anxieties of how your house is going to be broken into. And your mind just goes on this rabbit trail and over and over again. You start, you start it's, it's crazy. You cannot shut your mind off. And so, gentlemen, you no longer have the excuse when your wife or significant other or friend says, hey, what are you thinking about? <laughs> Nothing. I'm not thinking about anything. You no longer have that excuse, okay, guys? It's just not going to work for you anymore. And I felt this. I I felt this as as I tried to sit in silence. I attempted to hear God. I sat in silence, and I wanted to hear God. And and about an hour into this, I started going crazy. It's it's crazy trying to sit in silence for an hour when you have just ambient noise all around you. Like, when you get away from the, the noise of the city and you just go out into the middle of noiselessness, it is, it'll drive you insane. It is crazy how I began to feel. The silence was driving me mad. I, my brain started filling the silence with, with music and random chatter, just like we, we did. And my body got so antsy that I began to pace back and forth. This 10 by 10 foot cell, I just had to be moving. Cell, I just called it a cell, I did. <laughs> that was a, uh, I am very much an extrovert, so that, that is hard. Um... Did it feel like a cell? Sure. You know, that was a, that was a, um, Freudian slip. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I opened the cat. There was a cabinet in there full of bug spray and I'm like, Oh, what can I do to get my mind active? And so I started reading the ingredients of bug spray bottles and like literally anything that you could do to make your, your brain think and, and to be active, you would start to do. I was going crazy in the silence. And then about 12 hours into it, 12 hours I endured that. I took a couple of naps in there. 12 hours into it, the chatter and the chaos in my head and the pacing and back and forth and all of the craziness that I, my, my brain was throwing at me, all of a sudden, snap. Snap. It was like, it was like a 12-hour mark. Bang. All of a sudden, I could hear. And the chatter died away. And the noises in my head died away. I, I didn't hear audible noises from God. I didn't hear him speaking to me audibly, but I just... I. I had this compulsion, and I was like, man, you know, I haven't, I haven't read Acts in, in many years. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, and I feel like I need to read Acts. And so I just sat there, and I read the entire book of Acts, and, and, uh, and I was there because Emily and I were desiring to plant a church, and all of these realizations about, about who I was and how God had made me and the mission that he had called me to and what we were to do as disciples of Christ and bringing his gospel to the ends of the earth and all of these things that Acts talks about so frequently. I was like, oh my goodness, why, why, why? I haven't read Acts in, in years. I haven't picked up this book in a long time, and all of a sudden this is what I'm drawn to? God is speaking to me through his word. God is saying, hey, I'm going to put this compulsion in you. Now go read my word, and I want to speak to you some more. And I felt the confidence now when I came home, and then I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to go plant this church. We're going to figure out the ways to do this. And here we are, roughly four years later, 
at Restoration Church because Emily and I took a leap of faith. But it took some encouragement from the voice of God, the presence of God speaking into me in order to get to that point. I didn't do a lot of speaking. I didn't speak to God uh, a whole lot because Jesus had said already, your father knows what you need before you ask him, for instance. He already knows what was on my heart. He already knew what was on my mind. He already knew what we were processing between Emily and I. And so I didn't do a lot of speaking. I simply listened. I listened. I listened to what God had to say to me to develop the faith we needed to move across country. And so I'm not convinced that the only way God speaks to people is through a still and a soft voice, by the way, as, as it was to Elijah. You know, realize that when, when Elijah heard God speaking to him in a still and a soft voice, he was hiding out in a cave because he had ran away from Jezebel. Jezebel wanted to kill him. He literally had a price on his head. If she had a sword and he was in proximity, his head would be lying on the floor alongside the rest of his body. Jezebel was out to kill him. Elijah was fearful and full of anxiety, and so he fled for his life. And so when God's presence come among, come, come, comes uh, alongside Elijah, it's not in the form of what the earthquake, if you guys know the story. It's not in the form of the fire. It's not in the form of the tornado. Do you think if you were fearful, crouching in the corner of a cave, fearful for your life, and God came to you in a tornado, do you think that would be helpful to you? Do you think if you were sitting there fearful for your life that if the earth started shaking and God said, this is me, do you think that would be helpful to you? God spoke to Elijah in a still and a soft voice because Elijah needed a still and a soft voice. But also realize that when Moses, for instance, was out in the wilderness, God lit on fire the only thing that was flammable in the entire desert to get his attention. And when the Israelites are up on the mountainside longing for a word from God, God shakes the mountain as in an earthquake to get their attention. And Job, at the end of his story, begins to hear the voice of God. How is it that he hears it? Through a tornado. God speaks to us in ways that we will understand. So just because Elijah heard a still, soft voice doesn't mean that's the only way God speaks to us. God is always speaking to us. God is always communicating. He's always talking. And we need to develop hearts and minds and ears and eyes to hear him. And so that is why I pray that every single Sunday that we would open up our hearts and open up our minds to hear God. God is always present and he is always speaking. And right now, he is trying to get your attention. Right in this very moment, he is getting your attention. He's trying to get your attention. Now that that moment has passed, in this very moment, God is saying, hey, do I have your attention? And now that that moment has passed, he's saying again, my friends, do I have your attention? Are you listening? See, our self-centered mental chatter keeps us from experiencing God's presence right now. But please understand that right now is all that there is. That right now is where God is. Right now is when God is present. And therefore, this present moment is all that is real. And yet, how much of our thought life is lived in the past? How much of your thought life is lived trying to, uh, trying to process regret and forgiveness? Or, or how much of your thought life is lived in the future? How much energy do you exhaust in worrying or in discontentment, making plans, forgetting that right now is where God is? And right now is all that is real, and therefore our gratitude and our joy, they are stolen from us because we do not live in the present tense. The past is gone. It is static. It cannot be changed, but it does inform our present situation. And the future is not yet, and therefore fluid, but it cannot be predicted. We remember the past, and we anticipate the future, but we do so in the present. 
Right now is all that there is. Reality is always now. And the most important aspect of reality is that God is present in every single moment. And so to forget that God is present at any given moment is to forget the most important aspect of that moment. Do you guys get that? To forget that God is with us, speaking to us right now, is to forget the most important component of that moment. Are you listening? Are you listening? Because God is always present, he's always speaking, he's always acting, he's remaining aware to this truth and to his presence is the single most important task of the life of the follower of Jesus. He is speaking to us, and we must listen. But this recognition that God is always present at every moment must draw us into a deeper question for ourselves. Here's the thing. God might be present, but are we? You know, phones, as great of a blessing as they may be, have provided us with a distraction in life. Does anybody else experience this? I can't be the only one, right? As much of a blessing as phones are, they're also a distraction to life. How many times are you with friends or with your spouse and you are near them, right? You're, you're sharing proximity and you're sharing their company, but your attention is somewhere else, right? You, you're near people, but you're not present with people. How many may be sitting next to friends riding in a car, but you're not present because you're on your phone or whatever it may be? You may be playing a board game with your child, and though you are sharing an activity with them and you're sharing a common space with them, your attention is not on them. It may be on your phone, and so you may be sharing common space, but you're not present with the people around you. You are not living in the here and now. You're living in somebody else's space and somebody else's time. And when our tri- kids try to get our attention, and the kids do this all the time, hey, Dad, it's your turn. Uh, Dad, it's your turn. Dad, it's your turn. Dad! Oh, oh, yeah, oh, sorry, man, it's, it's my turn. Okay, okay, I'm going to roll the dice and get back to my phone, get back to my text conversation. We may be in the present company of people, but we are not present. And so we must learn to be attentive and present and active listeners to what God is saying. And when we become active listeners, the two questions that must guide us from there are, what is God saying to me, and what am I going to do about it? What is God saying to me about my life situation, about who I am as a person, and then what am I going to do about it? If we can develop a constant awareness of God's presence, always train our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears to be aware of how God is communicating, and then follow, following faithfully to what he is saying, then the mission to go and to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them obedience to the nations, This incredibly daunting task is very achievable. If we are listening to how God is speaking to us, relying on his strength and his courage to live through us, this task is very achievable. My friends, would you be more daring if you knew that God was with you? Would you be more bold if you knew that you had God's strength? Would we be more faithful if we heard what God was asking of us? I think we would be. I'm going to ask my friend Sarah to join me. Sarah felt a call to full-time missionary work uh, several years ago, and so she took that plunge and moved overseas to the beautiful land of the UK. So it's not like she went to the jungle or anything, but um, she went to the, the UK, and that's not to minimize what you do, by the way. 
Thanks. Sorry. The, the, the jungle needs Jesus, too, and the UK definitely needs Jesus. So uh, what you are doing is very important, but you, but you work with a, a really a presence of God ministry. That's like yeah. what you guys specialize in, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, creating environments for worship and for the presence of God to be known and, and, and felt so that people have a greater boldness and faithfulness to go out and exactly. live in the world, yeah. right? So this is really cool what she does, specializes exactly in this. Um, when did you first hear God's calling for you to do this? So I kind of just fell into it, honestly. Um, I got pretty radically saved by Jesus uh, right when I was graduating university. And I've shared that, my, my testimony um, in this church before. But, it, you know, you're about to graduate college. And so you're in this, like, what am I going to do with my life? Oh, my gosh, <laughs> season. And then Jesus came into it. And I was like, I really have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. But there's this Jesus guy who's changed everything for me. And I just want to tell everyone, like, how great he is, you know? And so missions, it just kind of happened. And then once I started doing it, um, it just kind of captured me. And it, it was just incredible to see how real he is and um, and that he does speak to us. And, and so that has just kind of been what sustained me in the six-ish years since is knowing that he has called me and having heard his voice and having heard his promise and having heard the things he says about the United Kingdom and and what I get to be for the people there and so you know every day I don't always feel like (laughs) being a missionary but when those days when I don't like it's it's just knowing that I have heard his voice and he has called me to to be a certain thing and to be a certain place. Yeah. So y- you say that y- you, can, you can hear the voice of God, but mm-hmm. how does he speak to you? Yeah. So one of the fun things about Jesus is that he speaks to everyone totally uniquely. Um, and I really love that about him because he makes each of us so uniquely, you know. And for the parents in here, you can probably think about your own children. And you have a different relationship with each of them and a different dynamic with each of them. And that's so beautiful. And God the Father is the same way with each of his kids. So for me personally, um, like, honestly, a big thing is movies. As <laughs> silly as that sounds, like, I can go see a film and just get undone by Jesus. Like, and not epic films either. Like, like not, you know, Son of God, Passion of Christ. Like, those are great films, and I love them. But last week, he told me to go see Kung Fu Panda 3. And so I went and it was incredible. Like, I had this massive revelation of God and his heart for people. And most of you would probably go see it be like, oh, okay, whatever. That was Kung Fu Panda. But for me, he really spoke through it. And so I think it's about cultivating, like, how he's uniquely made you to hear him. Hmm. And what are the things that make you feel close to him? What are the things that, um, that you do hear him in? And, and just cultivating that with him. And the other thing is to really trust that you do hear from him. That's been, like, a massive thing for me is because prayer is a dialogue, you know. But we get so caught up in, like, is, is this you, Jesus? Is, is this me? Is this, you know, is, is this just, like, something I heard on the news? Is this the enemy? Like, what is this? And um, So we're hesitant to step out in faith when yeah. we hear his voice because, yeah. Yeah, we, and we actually, like, yeah. Holy Spirit lives inside of us. God has made his home in us. And so he loves to speak to you, and he is speaking to you all the time. And it's just a matter of trusting that and like, oh yeah, oh yeah, okay, okay, like, you know, God isn't upset if you hear him wrong, like, he's not, 
he's not scared of you hearing wrong. He's not afraid of your mistakes. Like, it's okay with him if you think you hear from him and you hear wrong. Like, he just, he just wants to talk to you and hear from you. And um, so just trusting that. Hmm. So where, where do you find the strength then to continue on with this missional work that God has called you to do? Entirely him. <laughs> right. Like, everything you've been saying, it's, it's entirely his spirit. It's entirely Holy Spirit at work. And, you know, I can... I can do a lot on my own strength, but, like, it's never going to be enough. <laughs> like, he has to do, he has to show up. And um, a lot of the events we put on, like, we have this thing called David's Tent, which is what that field is in the picture. And we see thousands of people show up, but it's literally just a tent in the field. Like, <laughs> that's all we do. And so if God doesn't show up and encounter people, like, no one leaves changed, you know? And, and so it's it's entirely him that has to show up and I know that and that's where all my strength comes from is is recognizing like it's only him only he can bring light to a refugee camp only he can like convince a really hard-nosed religious leader that actually like Holy Spirit is real and Jesus is alive today and he's not just bound to you know the Bible and, and tradition he's he's in this moment yeah. um Cool. So it's all him. <laughs> so th- those are some of the things of why why you do what you do. So those experiences mm-hmm. of change and yeah, I think I in my own life and working with these ministries, I've seen how real he is, and I've seen how good he is, and he really is as good as he says he is. Like he really is that good, and he really is that loving and kind and wonderful, and um, and he's so because of that, he's so worth it. He's so worth giving your everything for. He's, he's worth moving to a foreign country. He's worth making a fool of yourself at work. He's, he's worth having, like, the awkward conversation in line at the grocery store, you know? He's, just, he's worth our everything. Right. And so, like, when you encounter him, when you encounter his goodness and realness, you have this incredible privilege to, to be his plan A. Like, we get to be his plan A. And how exciting is that, that this holy, perfect God who can do anything and created the whole universe, he looks at us and he's like, yeah, you guys, you guys are going to be my plan A. Yeah, you're going to be the ones who take dominion over this earth and bring my kingdom. Like, that's such a huge honor and joy. And so all we have to do is, like, believe it and receive it and just start loving people and stepping out in faith and bringing his goodness and joy to wherever you are any day of the week. Yeah. Well, so you're heading back to the UK in like a couple yes. weeks, right? March 18th. March 18th. Okay. For two years? For two years. Right, yeah. Cool. We'll, yeah. We'll be in prayer for you. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you now before we say thank yeah. you. Thank you for sharing a little bit about your experience of yeah. the presence of God. And I, I want to let you know too, this is my blog. So if you have any questions for me, um, if you want to keep in the loop with like prayer requests, I do a a uh, newsletter every two months. You can sign up for that. All of that information um, you can find at theadventureoflove.com. Cool. Father, we thank you for Sarah and for her, <laughs> her listening, really, and then following faithfully for what you've called her to do. And I pray that it can be an example to all of us. Be with her in these next two years. Father, we'll stay in touch with her, of course, touch with her, of course, but over these next two years as she engages this adventure again, uh, fill her with your love so that it might overflow on to the United Kingdom. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, we are going to uh, 
take communion this morning. It's an opportunity really that is unique. Uh, it's really God's presence manifest in a lot of ways. The, the bread and the cup symbolize um, symbolize a lot of things, but one of them is that that God is present. This, this is a it's a it's something we do in memory of, of who He is. Uh, there's nothing we believe that these these elements are not turning into the actual blood and and body of Jesus, as some traditions do, but this is in memory of who God is. It's a memory of what he has done for us uh, to take our brokenness and then to liberate us and to save us. And so here's the thing. If you guys have experienced that, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be liberated, if you're longing to hear his voice, if that is your, your, your calling every single day is to God, where, what are you saying to me and what can I do now, then I would encourage you to take communion this morning. If you're still pondering, if you're still thinking, if this is still a question that you have, if you have not come to that place, that's totally cool. And I encourage you just to sit and reflect and to pray and ask God, will you speak to me today? And just, and just, uh, and just sit there and, and pray. There's no shame in that this morning. And so if you guys are ready, I encourage you to come and receive. We have stations forward um, and then one in the back as well. And you can just take the, the, the bread, dip it into the juice, and then receive the blood and body of Jesus this morning. I'm going to invite the band forward. As we begin uh, to prepare for communion, you know I'm reminded of when Joshua and Joshua entered the Promised Land. Uh, for Joshua's whole life, he'd been told that Moses was going to do this, and Moses was going to be the one to lead the people into the Promised Land. And now all of a sudden, Moses is dead, and now it's Joshua's responsibility. And so there's some apprehension on Joshua's part. He doesn't want to do it. You know, he, he's scared and there's some trepidation, so he doesn't want to do what God has called him. He's heard the voice of God to do it, but he doesn't want to do it. And so God encourages him with these words. I, have I not commanded you, Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so, friends, God has given us an impossible task. It's to, it's to advance his kingdom throughout this world. We are to be on mission, and it is intimidating, and I get that, but remember, God is with you, and not only is he present with you, but he is speaking to you. Always he is speaking to you, and so my encouragement to you this morning is open up your ears. Be present with God so that you can hear what he is saying, and then, by his strength, by his courage, learn to follow faithfully. Amen? Amen.